Beyond the, Beyond the Headlines. This is World Insight. Hello, I'm Tian Wei, and welcome to World Insight. We continue with a series of interviews I had with people in the know, both from China and the U.S., following the meeting of the two presidents in San Francisco. Today, on the topic of financial cooperation, I talked to Lin Hai. In November, China's central bank announced that it and the National Financing Regulatory Administration have approved an application by the MasterCard's Chinese joint venture to conduct the bank card clearing operations in the country. The joint venture of MasterCard and Nets Union Clearing Cooperation, or NUCC, could authorize its member institutions to issue MasterCard-branded Yuan bank cards in China. Let's listen to my conversation with Mr. Ling. Mr. Ling, what a pleasure to see you once again. Same here. Thank you for coming. <laughs> and I know this is the office that you worked for a long time, but this project has been a long time in the making. Yeah. And tell me about it. After working it for 10 years, finally had this final realization. What is it like? Well, tremendous gratification. We actually uh, formalized our joint venture with NUCC in 2019, and we got our in-principle approval actually in 2020. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what a, what a journey it has been, but it's so satisfying to finally hit this milestone. It's exciting for me personally, but I think the most important thing is it's exciting for the company. It's a good thing for China, and I think it's really wonderful for the Chinese consumers and the Chinese customers we have because now they will have more innovation, more choices, and the Chinese payment ecosystem has also developed to such an extent where it is very different from the rest of the world. So I am very confident MasterCard can play that interoperability role between China and the rest of the world. So that's the exciting bit. Yes, indeed. Tell me more about the area of uh, uh, businesses that you are now with this wonderful lessons and wonderful joint venture be able to do. Yeah. So I would say we're still, so with the license being granted in November, which literally is last month, yes. we're, we're now at the very beginning of the journey. We've been doing a lot of preparations for getting ourselves ready operationally, technology-wise, building the team. So we've been doing all of that to get ready. But until we got the license, we couldn't really operate. So now I think that I say to the team, congratulations, but now the hard work starts. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, January 1st, um, we, we will be like doing all the work in terms of ensuring our technology are connected with all the banks, in terms of building more acceptance, issuing cards, right? Also telling the Chinese consumers that MasterCard is now not only accepted outside China, but they can also use it within China. And, and then the partnerships with the digital players, with merchants, with the banks. So there's really a lot that we need to do. Let's go into details about this uh, wonderful joint venture and also what the license is about. NUCC is not a commercial bank. Uh, in China. Uh, we understand back in the 1990s there were already similar arrangements between another uh, 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 company, American company, and a Chinese commercial bank. But this time it's very different. So tell me about what does this joint venture really mean? Why this kind of partnership? What is the key to success of any joint venture? It's like a marriage, right? 
both sides have to bring complementary skill sets and capabilities and assets. And I think that's exactly what it is. So if you think about MasterCard, we are a global company. We have a global payment network. We have global acceptance footprint among almost 100 million merchants, right? We have lots of very innovative payment solutions. But China is a very unique market. What, what is NUCC? They are a digital switch for the digital wallets. And uh, I think their local know-how, their technical know-how, their technology infrastructure will really help us navigate in this uh, Chinese marketplace. So I do believe the two parties coming together to form this JV is actually a win-win because we bring something that each other does not have. So it's a complementary uh, 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 skill set that we're putting together. And it's a real uh, mutual dependency. It's a real win-win. Like I said, this is actually what's creating the sustainability of this arrangement. So I do believe with this JV, we will be able to navigate China more successfully, but we can also help Chinese consumers connect it to the rest of the world more successfully. Hi, you know, uh, the license was granted in the month of November, and November has been quite an important month in terms of China-U.S. relations, and also for the business communities from both sides to interact, uh, given there was a presidential meeting in San Francisco. So many are looking at uh, your project, this JV, and thinking, hmm, how is this likely to reflect uh, on the cooperation side between China and the United States. And we need to focus on what we do best, which is delivering the best payment services to consumers. I want to also say timing is such that we got our license right after the APAC meetings, but it's, it's many, many years in the working. So we've been working on this for, for a while. Uh, and it's a, it's a journey, and I don't think our journey has finished. In fact, like I said, with the license, the journey has now just started. But to answer your question, I fundamentally believe at a, at a higher level, open interoperability, openness, doing more trade is in the best interest of, of all countries. It's actually good for countries and societies and, and the rising tide will lift all boats. So let me just put, get this out of the system, right? I think it's a good thing to be trading, to be open to each other, to be talking. But on the micro level, we need to focus on what we do best in terms of delivering our services to consumers. So like I said, I think this uh, license, this uh, market entry for MasterCard is a great way to drive innovation for China, to drive more consumer choice. So it's a really good thing for the Chinese consumers. And given now China's payment ecosystem is very different from the rest of the world, you do need a player like MasterCard who can provide the interoperability. Right? Everything here is QR-based. Overseas, it's all contactless. It's tap and go, using your phone or using your plastic. So when a Chinese consumer goes overseas, the consumer experience will be different. The technology will be, will be different. I think we're well positioned to bridge that gap, to explain to consumers what you should do uh, outside China, but also to explain to inbound tourists coming into China, foreign visitors, business people coming to China, their experience would be very different from what they're used to. And we have a good way to bridge that gap. A great example is now we're working with, we have succeeded in our partnership with Alipay and WeChat Pay. So when a foreign businessman like myself or a foreign tourist, when they come to visit China, they can actually bind their credit card or debit card into the Alipay, WeChat Pay wallet. And they can use uh, with merchants where QR codes accepted, in addition to using cards directly. They have another way 
to make payments in China. So that's actually a great consumer experience. So those are the things that we want to do. We want to play that bridge role. We want to be the interoperability player. And now, of course, the world is moving to a very different stage. Uh, one could argue so is China. Now, in retrospect, how do you see this step that you have taken regarding the JV uh, with your understanding of China's reform and opening up, especially in the financial sector? China is doing the right thing. I think the focus areas will pay a lot of dividends for China down the road. Those are daunting challenges as well, but I do believe the country will find a way through these challenges. But it's, it is really focusing on the right, right thing. Growth itself is, is not enough. It's about sustainable growth, right? So I think everything um, the country is doing in terms of structural changes and reforms around both opening up but also some of the structural changes, I think, may, may create some short-term pain, but longer term, I think it's a, it's a very good thing. And this is where we can also contribute, because when I talk about sustainable growth, it is about turning China into more a consumption-based economy rather than just export-dependent. What does MasterCard do? We support consumption. And it's not just consumption, it's also high-quality consumption. The data have very clearly showed us, post the pandemic, you're seeing people really changing from consuming more stuff, more goods, to more services and experiences. So experiences have become much more important. That is very much uh, an example of high quality consumption, right? What else do we do? I mean, ESG is a big topic. How do we do sustainable, uh, environmentally conscious consumption? Green growth, those are the things that we care about. Financial inclusion is another great example, right? How do you support SMEs? Make sure they have uh, participation in the formal banking system. They have access to electronic payments. So therefore, they're included in this growth dynamics. Mm -hmm. So those are the things I think we can contribute to China in terms of its, its journey onto this more sustainable growth trajectory. So what is it like for you as the chairman of the board for this JV? How are those experiences going to contribute to your decision making and your discussion process, both with the management team of this JV and also with other members of the board? So let me, let me put it this way. So sometimes I also think about our businesses around the world. Countries where we do see a lot of success tend to be headed by people that are not just bilingual, but bicultural. So let's talk. Or multicultural. Yeah. You, ha you need a head of career that understands the local nuances and can, ha and can navigate the local business dynamics and be able to do business with the local customers. But you need to also be able to deal with our head office in the US and regional Absolutely. office in Singapore. And this is becoming ever more important. Right. And they're the bridge. They're the bridge. I talked about the MasterCard being the bridge between China and the world, but they're usually the bridge between their local market and the rest of the world. So I think the key success factor is that I think we need more talent who truly understand both sides of the equation, right? Not having this one-sided view. And, and you, you asked about geopolitics. I think it's the same thing. That understanding of both sides of the equation. So. In business, it's, it's really critical. So my own learning is I, you know, I think I'm very lucky. I benefit from the fact that I grew up in China. I went to the US. I, now I'm a global citizen. I've worked around the world. Uh, the appreciation for how things can be different. Yeah, why 
others may have a different perspective than you, I think really benefited me, not only in everything else I do, but in this uh, license application process as well. I think it gave me and my team a way to reach across the aisle, right, to our JV partner when difficult issues arise. We can sit at a table and build that trust and figure out a way to solve problems. And that really is what it takes, the, the understanding between the people and, and the trust you can build between the teams and really problem solve. So I think we need more of that in the world, whether it's a, it's a company setting, whether this is a, about, you know, country, between countries. I think we, we need more of that and I really hope all the countries continue to keep their doors open uh, and, and allow talent to be able to experience the different cultures and understand the different issues. Because when I left China, went to the U.S., I benefited from the openness of the world at that time, and I hope that trajectory will continue. Beautifully said. Um, the other thing about new technologies, uh, people are looking at AI-related technologies into the banking sector, no matter what kind of services we are discussing here. I view uh, the power of AI in two areas for our business. One is it really is a great way to protect consumers. So safety, security. AI, you, you're going to have fraudsters trying to leverage AI to, uh, to commit crimes and defraud consumers. And payment, th that trust factor is so critical. So we must also build our strength uh, of AI, build upon our strength in AI, and really leverage our capabilities to protect consumers. So AI will be a great tool, great technology for us to do that. But the second thing is I think AI is also great in terms of customizing consumer services. Have you noticed sometimes you go, you go to a restaurant, you finish a meal, you walk out of the restaurant, you get a message from your bank saying, next time you come to this restaurant, you get 5% off and 10% off. But that's after the fact, right? The beauty of AI is with data, with predictive power, if as you're walking into a, a mall, looking at two restaurants and the AI predictor or your, your, your app will tell you, hey, with this restaurant, you will get a much better benefit. That will help you make your decision, right? So, so I think how we turn um, data into future tense rather than past tense, leveraging AI, and also do this in a way that's customized. I'll give you one more example. We are already using AI around the world in terms of customize, customized consumer services. So an example would be, if you go into a, 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 a you know, QSR, like a fast food restaurant, and if the company knows you're a vegetarian, why do they have to serve you a standard menu with meat burgers, right? Today, when, it, when consumers walk into a store, they may get served the same menu. With AI, you can customize the offering. The menus can be different. The discounts can be different. The marketing messages can be different. So there's really a tremendous amount of things you can do with AI. When people talk about JV, they say, oh, well, you know, JV, it's like the thing of the ancient times. At the very early days of China's reform and opening up, you have a JV. But now uh, the meaning of JV, especially between an American and a Chinese financial institution is something very different compared yeah. to the old days. I agree with Shine you. Shine some light on this. I agree us. with you. No, I know exactly what you're saying. If you think about 20, 30 years ago, the Chinese companies 
lacked certain capabilities or capital, right? So they're looking for the, the, the Western partners to provide those things. I would say today's Chinese companies are very sophisticated. They're actually world class. So what they're looking for in the joint venture is usually very different. Now, I also think about Chinese companies going overseas. You think about DD. I was in South America. I was in Mexico, Brazil, and I realized, my goodness, DD is, uh, is a very uh, uh, a significant player in those markets. So the Chinese companies are also going, ha have already gone overseas. So when you think about JV, I come back to this. You need to find a, a mutual dependency, a win-win, and complementary skill set, something you have, I don't have, that's what makes a marriage more sustainable. So I think today, um, when you think about a, a, a Chinese company, uh, it's, not a, it's not about them not having capital or not having know-how, they do. So for me, I think the idea for a Western company ought to be looking for the know-how and the capabilities they have in a local market, right? In this particular JV, like I said, we bring what we know globally we bring our brand, we bring our global acceptance network, we are counting out on our JV partner to provide the technology infrastructure, the local know-how, right? the understanding of the digital wallets and digital payments in China. And so precisely because they are more developed, they are more sophisticated, I find more value in this sort of joint venture now. Are you ready for the journey? A lot of patience, a lot of guts are required. Whether I am ready or not, I have no choice now. And I think I'm very glad for the company that we have hit this milestone. I, I think all of our teams are ready. Now my conversation with John Thornton, the Chair Emeritus of Brookings Institution, who believes in the strength of people-to-people -people exchanges between China and the United States. Mr. Thornton, what a pleasure to see you. Nice to see you. Um, I see you're traveling to China, this time with a long stretch of time. What is your assessment of the ambience here in terms of how people understand the current state of China-U.S. relations, particularly leading up to the election year? Well, first of all, the first thing I want to say is, I've been here now each, each of the last three months, and each time I've been struck by the fact that there are far fewer Westerners here than than before COVID, and it's very noticeable to me. Uh, on your on your question, I think. Um, and what does that say to you? I tend I tend personally to underestimate the tail of big events. So the tail of COVID strikes me as longer than I would have thought, and I would have thought there would have been a return to a more sort of normal pattern faster. So it says to me it's taking longer than I would have anticipated. Uh, it's going in the right direction, but it's just slow. But many people are very glad that you are here because you have been serving as a very stable bridge between China and the United States, even during the most difficult years. Well, I believe in the, first of all, I believe in China. I believe in the relationship. I believe that the uh, that a healthy U.S.-China relationship is absolutely vital to the world. Uh, and I believe in backing up what I think, what I believe. And so uh, I came here right through COVID uh, three or four times. And now I'm trying to come every single month. Do you see ambience change 
every time when you come back, particularly recently after the summit in San Francisco between the two presidents? Yes, I think that the, now these of course, these are sort of subtle. Right, of course, it's, it's personal kind of. Yeah, it's anecdotal, but I would say yes. I would say people in China seem to me to be more uh, hopeful and optimistic about the uh, U.S.-China relationship. Uh, and I think they'd like to see it uh, in better shape. And um, they'd like to see all the good things that come out of it come back at least as, at least as strong as they were before, if not better. So yes, I, do, I, see, I see definitely a, a positive change. Will they be disappointed given the election year is coming up in the U.S.? Well, first of all, I would say, I tend to think of things over long stretches of time. I think the trajectory or the trend is very clear, and the trend is a, is a positive one over time, uh, both within each country and between the countries. Now, if you ask just about 2024, I think they could be disappointed in the sense that the rhetoric will be harsh. The reality, the substance, I think is going to continue to go forward. And so disappointed on one level and not on another, I guess is what I would say. After San Francisco summit, many believe it takes a lot to implement. Now, what do you see as the priority of implementation in order to follow up on the spirit of San Francisco summit between the two presidents? Well, the first thing I want to say about San Francisco is that the speech that uh, President Xi Jinping gave uh, I thought was excellent. At the dinner? At the dinner. And I was in the room, and I was also present at the prior uh, private reception. And the speech, as I was listening to it, and as I was watching the people in the room and how they were reacting, mm -hmm. it suddenly occurred to me that the speech was actually directed at the American people. Not, it was not a speech directed at the American business community. And if you recall, a lot of his speech was dedicated to uh, examples of people-to-people -people exchanges and the positive impact. At one point, he, he, he asked the, the most important question of all. He said, uh, we have a choice. We can be adversaries or we can be partners. And then a few sentences later, he answered his own question and he said, China wants to be a partner and friend of the United States. It was very clear, very simple. No one in the room could be under any ambiguity as to what he was saying. Now, I start with that because uh, I had recently, for my own purposes, uh, encouraged Frank Luntz, the very, uh, very prominent pollster in the United States, to do a survey of ordinary Americans about China, US China, uh, the Chinese people, the Chinese government, and, and related matters. And he did a, a very large survey, and he came back and he said, the most, uh, the strongest piece of the U.S.-China relationship, by a long way, uh, are the people-to-people -people relations. He said, when you poll ordinary Americans and you ask them, how do you feel about China? 79% are either unfavorable or neutral. If you ask the American people, how do you feel about the Chinese people? 81% are, 
are favorable or neutral. So I was struck by the fact that President Xi's focus on people to people and the analytical underpinning of a survey uh, supporting that same view uh, says to me that the focus in the speech was exactly right. And that gets to your question, which is what's the single most important thing to implement? My own view is the single most important thing to implement uh, is as massive a people to people series of exchanges as one, as one can have. We should have as many American tourists as possible coming to China. You remember in, in President Xi's speech, he mentioned inviting 50,000 American students to come here. That's very important. Uh, cultural exchanges, uh, sports exchanges. Uh, we, should be, we should be, look at that as a kind of uh, investment in the future of the world. And if you look at it that way, uh, it's a very inexpensive investment. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that we should be focusing on. And that's all the time we have for today. If you'd like to know more Search World Inside, check out our YouTube channel. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Tian Wei. On behalf of the team, thanks for being with us. Bye for now.